0: The Forum of Workplace Inclusion's 2022 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash moreofthis. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. And thank you all to our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. And please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows. So thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again
1: and enjoy the show. Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion Podcast Series brought to you by Best Buy. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. It is currently the Thanksgiving season here in the States, a time of reflection and to show gratitude for the things we are thankful for. So, in that spirit of reflection and gratitude, we've decided instead of publishing a new episode this week, that we would share one of our most popular from recent years. You hear or say something offensive, then what? Strategies for increasing your effectiveness around diversity by Dr. Louisa Drescher, President and CEO of Mastering Cultural Differences. We here at the forum are truly thankful for you listeners of our podcast and hope you enjoy this podcast and find it helpful in your DEI journey. If you'd like to learn more about increasing your effectiveness around diversity, visit MasteringCulturalDifferences.com or email Louisa directly at Louisa at MasteringCulturalDifferences.com. Thank you again for listening. Enjoy the podcast.
2: Well, hello everyone. I feel very privileged to have been invited to be part of the forums podcast community and to share some thoughts, um, you know, about finding the courage to be an ally and standing up for inclusion, be it in the workplace or out in the community. For those of you who don't know me, I am Louisa Drescher and president and CEO of Mastering Cultural Differences. I work with individuals and organizations that want team members to understand cultural differences and work well across those differences. In fact, my upcoming book Mastering Cultural Differences Strategies for Leading a Global Workplace was written to help individuals work effectively across all differences impacting today's global workplaces. You might be detecting an accent. I would like to say it's because I've been in Minnesota for too long, but that's not the case. I was born in Brazil, but have been in the US for many years now. And I also have had international experiences in Spain, Ukraine, Japan. So I consider myself Brazilian by birth, but multicultural by choice. I would like to to start by asking you to imagine a couple of scenarios. Uh, For example, you're having lunch at work with a few co workers. One of them is your good friend, let's call him John, whom you've worked, you've known him from college, since your college days. You know, John is gay, uh, but he hasn't come out at work yet. And in the midst of the conversation, one of your co workers makes an off the cuff derogatory comment about same sex marriages. What do you do? One of your co-workers, Gabriela, speaks with an obvious accent. One thing you noticed about Gabriela is that she tends to speak faster whenever she's she, she stressed or nervous, which only makes it harder to understand her. You have seen that members of your team often make jokes about Gabriela behind her back. Not only that, but they generally blame her for any misunderstandings or miscommunication problems. What do you do? Imagine your team is finishing up a meeting where you have been putting together the final touches on a very important presentation for a potential client. At the end of the meeting, your supervisor turns to your African American colleague and says, Shirley, I need you to do something with your hair. Everybody needs to look professional tomorrow. Would you say something to your boss? What about if you are the one who said something inappropriate and you you wish you could take that back? Unfortunately, these types of situations are far too common today, both inside and outside the workplace. In fact, just this past January, a high school senior in Texas was told he he should not come back nor would he walk in at graduation unless he, he cut his dreadlocks. And even more worrisome is the fact that as our workplaces or our societies become increasingly more diverse, so there's our level of discomfort in working across differences. So when you say something offensive or you hear something offensive, the most likely outcome, unfortunately, is the same you say nothing. Either because you are afraid to say the wrong thing or because you don't know what to say. But saying nothing only contributes to widening the diversity gap. So my goal is that by the end of this podcast, you will understand how certain comments impact others despite their good intentions. You will learn a few concepts to keep in mind when communicating across differences. you will acquire a few strategies you can use to facilitate a dialogue and improve your effectiveness around diversity because with the right skills and courage you can stand up for inclusion
1: thank you so much for that wonderful intro so i let let's get started i mean standing up for inclusion as you pointed out in those those um um (laughs) oh my thank you louisa so much for that wonderful introduction and like let's get started you know standing up for inclusion is is key in today's increasingly diverse workplaces as you pointed out in those examples what do we have to do to start to embark on that journey
2: well first i think we need to understand what we are talking about statements that offend insult or make individuals uncomfortable or invalidate someone's culture are called microaggressions. In the book Microaggressions and Marginality by Daryl Sue, he defines microaggressions as the everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile derogatory or negative messages to target persons based solely on their group membership. Michael Barron from Inquest Consulting argues that there is nothing micro about microaggressions. In fact, he prefers to call it subtle acts of exclusion. The problem with microaggressions is that that often uh, they occur outside the level of conscious awareness of perpetrators. In other words, they are unaware of the hidden message that is also being delivered. Many times they are disguised as compliments uh, or or positive statements. For example, when a manager praises the only African-American team member for her excellent contributions to the team by saying, the Black community should be proud of you. Unconsciously, the message being transmitted is that for the manager, Blacks are not as capable or as white. And the employee is an exception to her group. It is very clear that in today's workplaces, uh, different groups are still experiencing different realities. In fact, in the 2018 Women in the Workplace report, the authors highlighted some of the gender based microaggressions women are still facing. Results in that study show that 64% of the women indicated having experienced microaggressions. They are more likely than men to have their competence questioned, be overlooked or spoken over, more likely to have others take credit for their ideas, and more likely to be mistaken by someone at a much lower level. Results were even more alarming for women of color and and lesbians. In fact, 71% of lesbians indicated having been the recipient of microaggressions. They are also far more likely than other women to hear demeaning remarks in the workplace about themselves or, or others like them. So, I agree with Michael Barron, you know not, there is nothing micro about being spoken over, having your competence questioned, hearing you know, negative remarks on the, this is the daily reality for many nowadays.
1: Thank you so much for that. Now that we 've talked about microaggressions and how different groups experience them in the workplace i i 'd like to spend some time discussing the impact of microaggressions on individuals, how does it it affect them, or how does it affect us individually?
2: I can think of at least five ways microaggressions impact individuals. First of all, microaggressions make individuals feel like they don't belong. For example, when you ask someone, where are you from? You're making an assumption because either you hear an accent or because of the way they look.
1: Been there, <laughs> haven't we all? The of that question
2: is, what you're really saying is that you don't belong, you're an outsider. And research shows that Asian descendants experience this type of question far more often than whites, even though they could be fourth generation you know, US Americans. So the solution, If you don't have the relevant information, just don't make any assumptions. Another impact is that microaggressions make individuals feel invisible. This happens to women a lot when they get interrupted, spoken over, or when someone takes credit for their accomplishment, as we saw in the study I mentioned earlier. Another way individuals are made to feel uh, invisible is when they hear, for example, I don't see color. Your intention, perhaps, is that by eliminating the color difference, you are trying to show you are a fair minded individual or that you are not biased. But the impact is that you are eliminating a significant aspect of their identity, their race, and therefore all their life experiences. You need to understand that seeing color or any other difference is not a problem. It is what you do or say after you notice differences that is important. Another impact is is that microaggressions make individuals feel like there is something wrong with them or like they are a burden. For example, when you are asked to change your name because it is difficult to pronounce. I I have seen this happen countless times with international students. I, in fact, I was reading an article by the Harvard Business Review, where a Latina executive was was sharing uh, a time that, that, that when she had been asked to anglicize her name um, at work. So she talked about, she went on to talk about, my father, who died when I was young, chose my name. It is one of the few things I have It's one of the few links I have to him, and I'm not willing to to let it go. I am twisting myself into a pretzel to adapt to, to my company's culture, and they can't budge on an inch to call me by my given name. So in fact, according to a study published by the Center of Talent Innovation, most Latinos in the U.S., do not feel they can bring their authentic selves to the office. The authors found that the vast majority of Latinx, 76% of them, they repress parts of their personas at work. They feel they have to modify their appearance, their body language, their communication style, if they are ever to be considered for, for a leadership position. Another impact? Microaggressions make individuals feel inadequate. For example, when you say, you are so articulate. You speak the language very well. Heard it many times. In your mind, you're probably you know, you're paying a compliment because you're really impressed by their verbal skills. By the way, individuals are genuinely surprised when others take offense at this compliment. They cannot see what they, want, what they went wrong on this one. What's really happened is that the individual you are praising does not fit the stereotypes you have of that particular group. You obviously underestimated their capability and will come across as you are far more more competent and intelligent than I initially presumed. So if your intent is to pay a compliment, you can just just do so by simply saying, great job, nicely done. This will convey the message. And one more thing, this comment, when directed at individuals whose primary language is not English, it will likely be taken as a compliment. However, if directed at individuals whose English is their primary language, for example, a third generation Filipino, that is, then it's a problem because you are making this statement based on how they look. Of course, they speak without an accent. They were born here. They have lived here all their lives. Again, you really have you really have to be cautious about the, the assumptions you make. So so far, I have talked about how microaggressions make individuals feel. They you know, for example, that they don't belong, make them feel invisible, like a burden, or they're inadequate. One last impact I want to touch upon is that microaggressions make individuals feel they're not normal. I worked many years in academia where I worked primarily on recruitment and retention of students of color. One of the things that I heard a lot from my multiracial students is that they were frequently asked, what are you, which clearly objectifies them. Or even worse, what is your mix? As if they were a breed at the zoo. When individuals ask questions, it is because uh, they're curious about someone's ethnic background, usually because they cannot discern certain features that they see. The problem is that it becomes exhausting to have to educate others on your multiracial background, especially because you know no one believes you, and then you have to start, you know, they start cross-examining you. Really? A white person will not have to go into details to say, for example, oh, my mother, my my mother's family came from Germany, my father's side, you know, came from England, you know, they were seeking, he was seeking, you know, a better opportunity in the US. And that's why I am white with green eyes. In other words, there is no obligation to provide an ancestral tree like multiracial individuals have to do. And that's because whiteness is considered the norm. So the solution? Accept people's response. It's not your job to play detective. If they choose to add to their response, great. Ben, I can't hear you.
1: (laughs) I forgot to unmute myself. That's great. We can edit that out. But that's, that's great advice. Thank you so much for that. Um, now, before we um, discuss specific strategies, can you tell us how individuals can step up for inclusion?
2: I started this podcast by giving you know, a few scenarios and then asking you, you know, what do you do in this situation? For example, when someone tells a joke you consider inappropriate. It could be racist, sexist, anti-semitic, anti-muslim, anti-immigrant, what have you. So what do you do? What choices do you have? Usually one of two things happen. Number one, individuals choose to be a bystander. As a bystander, a person, a bystander is a person who witnesses harm, that is happening, but ignores the harm being done and takes no specific action to minimize, reduce, or stop it. And one interesting thing we need to watch for the by- is the bystander effect. It occurs when when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening when witnessing a microaggression occurring. In other words, they hope someone else will step in and do something about it. In fact, studies show that the greater the number of bystanders, the less likely it is for any of them to step in and provide help. So as a sure way individuals can step in um, for, you know, to step in as an ally is Let's just start over. Yeah. A sure way individuals can step in for inclusion is to be an ally. An ally is the person who voices or otherwise demonstrates moral and emotional support for someone to whom harm is being done. An ally is willing to get uncomfortable. They use their privilege to, to elevate the voice of those who are being marginalized. They call, they call out racism, sexism, homophobia when they see it by either by pulling people aside, helping them see the negative impact of their words and the unintended consequences and also showing them that there is a better way. So, and they also actively work to dismantle racism and other discriminatory actions, not only inside, but also outside your organization. So my goal for you is that when you witness acts of microaggression, that you gather the courage to step in and be an ally whenever you are needed.
1: Thank you so much for that. Allyship is so important for the, um, for the work of inclusion. In fact, it's one of the four pillars of our uh, 2021 conference, um, active allyship. Um, now, the fun part, can you share with our audience some specific ways of how they can speak up in, productive, in a productive way? In other words, how can they stand up and be an ally? Sure,
2: but first, let me, let me be honest with you. Speaking up, that is, knowing how to address someone else's hurtful comments or jokes, or comments that are biased, demeaning, or prejudiced, they can, it can be difficult. And many people want to speak up, but fear they, they will say the wrong thing or don't know how to approach the conversation. Unfortunately, staying silent only allows his attitudes and behaviors to thrive. Because silence can be interpreted in many different ways, including indifference or acquiescence. And failure to speak up can take a toll on you you as well. Uh, You will spend the day thinking about, I should have said something. Why didn't I speak up? I could have said X, Y or Z. So I want you to redirect this energy so you can respond effectively next time, instead of staying silent. Because the fact is, a simple phrase or a question on your part can turn the conversation from destructive to productive. And who knows, you know, being the first one to speak up may inspire someone else to do the same. The key is, to interrupt the behavior in a manner that opens up a conversation and does not diminish the speaker. Calling someone a racist, a homophobe, a sexist will not work. So here are some things that you can do. Number one, you can explain the impact while assuming good intent on the part of the speaker. In other words, Start with the assumption that the person is a decent human being, but clueless about the impact of his or her words. I call that the Archie Bunker syndrome. You go around offending people having no clue that you're doing that. So you can say something like, I know you mean well, but that really bothers me. Or I'm sure you meant that to be funny, but that joke is offensive unfortunately some people actually believe that if the person doing the harm is your superior i would suggest speaking to that individual in private you can say something like mr johnson everyone knows you are committed to the success of this organization did you realize that what you said in the meeting today was offensive can i give you my perspective This way, you acknowledge the person's positive intentions, which is key to providing non-blaming feedback. I've also said that a good starting point is you approach the person who has been offensive, demeaning, or discriminatory as if he or she did not intend to harm. Another strategy, for example, you give them a chance to re-examine what they said by asking non blaming questions, because sometimes people don't realize what they have said. So you can ask questions like, what do you mean when you say, isn't that like a, a marketing person, for example, to say that or it sounds like you were saying that Brenda is too old to learn a new software. Is that what you really mean? Or can we get back to what you said a few minutes ago? You mentioned immigration and the increase in gun violence. Are you suggesting that the two are linked? Again, the key is to give individuals a chance to think about what they've said while giving them the benefit of the doubt. Strategy number three. Sometimes all it takes is a redirect in the conversation. This is an indirect way to point out that the language used was demeaning and inappropriate. So when someone says, I'm not prejudiced against Oriental people. I just don't have any Oriental friends. You know that this is an outdated and considered bigoted. Uh, You know that in the U.S. the term has been used to reinforce the idea that Asians are seen as the forever foreign and could never become true Americans. In fact, according to Erica Lee, author of The Making of Asian America, A History, these were the ideas that helped uh, to justify immigration exclusion, racial discrimination, violence, segregation, So using this term perpetuates inequality, disrespect and discrimination towards Asian Americans. So you can redirect with the correct terminology and say, oh, I'm glad to hear you're not prejudiced against Asian Americans. I'm curious, what has happened in your life that has kept you from having Asian friends? Another example of redirecting would be Let's say you hear someone describe attendance at a non-denominational event by saying, oh, I'm so glad both Christians and non-Christians attended the ceremony. The implication here is Christianity is the norm. So you can redirect by saying, I'm glad to hear that among those who attended the ceremony were Muslims, Jews, Christians, and others. Number four. Another low risk way to react is to ask lots of non-threatening questions. For example, what do you mean when you say that? What are you trying to say? I don't think I heard you correctly. Could you elaborate? What is that that leads you to say that? Again, you're not placing blame. You are providing the opportunity to go deeper in the conversation so you can understand where the individual is coming from, as opposed to reacting by saying, why in the world would you make such an offensive statement? Because that will shut down the conversation. Number five, you can also help the individual see the absurdity in his or her statement, especially when they are generalizing. Because while certain behaviors may be true for an individual, it is not true for everyone in the group. For example, when someone says, the frontline personnel in this firm doesn't care about providing quality services. Typical stereotypical statement. So you can say, don't you know any frontline personnel who do care about providing good services? you're trying to seek contradiction there you're helping them see the absurdity of their statement then you can go deeper which frontline personnel you're referring to make it individual it's not about all of them another example will be when someone says immigrants are lazy and don't even try to speak english you can counter by saying actually i've met dozens of immigrants who have learned English or are trying to learn it. Do you know how hard it is to learn another language? Is there someone in particular you were trying to communicate with? You sound very frustrated. So you help them see that they are generalizing and it's not about everyone. Strategy number six, sometimes you need to pause the action with feedback. In other words, you describe the situation, and the behavior you observed and you give feedback on the impact that it had on you. For example, you can say when you made that lazy immigrant comment that really hurt as one of the many non-native speakers in this firm, then you can go on and explain the the, the impact of your words. and a word of caution here, you know, you should never you should never speak for someone else. Uh, you can show the impact that it had on you, not on someone else. Now you can empower or, or help or, or uh, you can empower a coworker to speak up, perhaps but by standing with him or her or her or by being an ally. So so far we've talked some up some of the strategies that I covered. We talked about assuming, you know, start by assuming good intent, re examining the statement, redirecting the conversation, asking non threatening questions, helping them see, you know, their stereotyping, and pausing and and giving feedback on the impact of the words. A last strategy I want to share is that sometimes you may have to interrupt the conversation. If someone says, there aren't any women in this type with this type of high level expertise that we can bring into the project. You can counter by saying, let's not assume that the women won't have the skills we are looking for. Let's look at everyone in the pool and then make our decisions based on what we actually discover or someone starts by saying an offensive joke. For example, how many does it take to, you can say, well, let's not go there. That is inappropriate. And there are many times when you will need to walk away, remove yourself from the situation until you can gather your thoughts. Now, before moving on, I want to share some strategies. Now, what if you were the one who said something offensive, or you were the one, you know, you are the offending party. What can you do? First, recognize what you did. Don't explain. Don't negate. Don't minimize it by saying, I didn't mean it. It was only a joke. Lighten up. That will only help. That is not going to help your cause. Just apologize. Replace your defensiveness with gratitude. See this as an opportunity to learn about the impact of your words that they had on someone else. And this is also an opportunity for you to grow and recognize that there's still work you need to do. Self-awareness is the number one skill you, you, you need to have if you want to become culturally competent.
1: Those are such great strategies that we can all use I mean we can all be allies but we sometimes can be the offenders as well so thank you for covering both sides Um, well you've gone over the impact of microaggressions ways individuals can react and you've provided some wonderful strategies individuals can use to speak up and react in a way that educates and invites a dialogue do you have any final thoughts
2: Sure, here are some key reminders. Remember that even well-intended people can cause harm. So when you say something offensive or hurtful, acknowledge it and accept responsibility for your words. Let go of your mistakes. It prevents you from moving forward, taking risks and learning. Staying stuck in your guilt accomplishes nothing. You need to understand that words matter. Recognizing how individuals are impacted by words clears the way for better communication. The sooner you understand the impact of your words or actions, the sooner you will transform the quality of your interactions. To avoid what I call the open mouth insert foot syndrome.
1: Take a... (laughs)
2: Take a deep breath, Uh, and more importantly, listen attentively, seek to understand, and only then take time to, to formulate a respectful and compassionate response. So there is a lot that has to happen before you respond. Keep in mind that just because you acknowledge someone's experience, it does not mean you have to agree with it. And finally, before you take action, ask yourself, is this an effective intervention? Am I seeking to educate? Is it being done in a respectful manner? Never ever confront acts of intolerance in a disrespectful manner, because that will only widen uh, the divide. So hopefully these strategies and tips you know, will encourage you to step up and be an ally in an effective manner. I would like to end by sharing something that John Lewis, who just passed away you know, in, in July seventeenth, you know, what he said. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. And this is my hope for those of you listening to, the, to this podcast, that you stand up and speak up on behalf of those who need help. Have the courage to move from a bystander to an ally. Hopefully now you have some strategies to do it in a productive way. Before we end, you know, I would like to share with the audience, if you want to learn more of, about this topic, Here are some resources that I used that you might find useful as well. Look at the the book, 35 Dumb Things Well-Intended People Say by Dr. Maura Cullen. It's a great book, great read. Another one is Ouch! That Stereotype Hurts, Communicating Effectively in a Diverse World by Leslie Aguilar. There is also an article that I wrote. Uh, The Detrimental Impact of Microaggressions in the Workplace. In fact, uh, if you would like uh, a handout with a summary of the strategies and the tips um, that you need to keep in mind when addressing microaggressions, as well as a copy of the article that I just mentioned, the, the, The Detrimental Impact of Microaggressions in the Workplace, with a list of things that you need to stop saying and better alternatives, just email me. My email is Louisa at masteringculturaldifferences.com to request the copies. Uh, just put you know podcast handouts on the subject line and I'll be more than happy to share you know a handout and a, and a copy of the article with you. So thank you very much for this opportunity.